We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host, Nick Bellato. Tonight we're doing the podcast meets YouTube again. It's Big Blue Banter on YouTube. Tonight we will be breaking down my current and personal five-step blueprint for the perfect New York Giants football draft. Hopefully I can get myself centered and collected and stop squirming around here as I get used to being on camera, but... This is my five-step blueprint for what I think would be a perfect Giants draft. Before I dive into that, what we're going to do is I'll go over each step, then we'll talk it through with you, me and Nick. We'll see where we both stand on it. Before I do that, though, I do want to go over my seven-step perfect blueprint last draft and see how it actually played out, because that's interesting to me. Now, seven steps last year, five steps this year. Why the difference? Because last year, I felt like they had more to accomplish, and it was a more... It would take a more complicated plan for them to kind of get it done. So last year, my first step was attempt to acquire more draft capital via trade. I talked about the spots they can do it at four. It didn't actually happen, so 0 for 1. The second one was be patient but prudent about drafting a wide receiver. Didn't actually happen. They were patient. Wasn't a great start. (laughs) They were prudent. I'm 0 for 2. But then I start to hit. Add athleticism and speed to the off-ball linebacker spot. They did it with Tate Crowder. They did it with Cam Brown. They, to some extent, Carter Coughlin. I mean, it's unexpected ways. They didn't go high in the draft, but I talked about in this write-up some of those later round guys that I did like. Step four, prioritize getting stronger on the offensive line. Well, they did just that. Step, By a lot, too. I mean, yes. think about it. Andrew Thomas, Matt Pear, and Shane Lemieux. That's three Oh, no, I'm sorry. Guys. Step four was prioritize getting stronger on the interior offensive line, which I think they did with Shane Lemieux. He's yes. a very strong yes. player. Yes. So, sorry, a little bit. And then step five, don't skip out on this talented and deep offensive tackle class, which obviously they didn't Twice. do. Step six, don't force it with an edge player in a weak edge class. They didn't do that either. And step seven, don't neglect finding a safety you can trust in single high looks. 
Xavier McKinney. Yeah. They did that. So, and you know, obviously we didn't see it as much in year one, but we'll see that a lot more in year two, I think, with him in the single high look. So, hopefully they can, uh, I guess, adhere to this plan next year, because or this draft, because I like it. I think it worked out. So, my first step in my five-step plan for 2021 is, step one, take a blue-chip prospect at number 11 overall. I talk about how I would take a BPA approach. And the names I listed that I think should or could be available are LSU wide receiver Jamar Chase, wide receiver Devontae Smith from Alabama, Alabama wide receiver Jason Waddle, I'm sorry, Jalen Waddle, who I wrote in parentheses, most likely to be available. And I wrote Jamar Chase, least likely to be available. Florida tight end Kyle Pitts, Oregon tackle Penny Sol, and Northwestern tackle slash guard slash whatever you want to play, Max. I'm sure you can play all five positions. Rashawn Slater. So that's six names I consider blue chips that could or should be available in order of least likely to be available to most likely to be available with Chase being least, Sewell being the second least, Pitts, Slater, Devontae Smith, and then Jalen Waddle. So I said there will be temptation to draft an edge at 11, but I would avoid that for a blue chip. Where do you stand on step one of this plan? I think it's a necessary plan, and I know you and I both don't want the Giants to really reach at the edge position but right. there's one player that does cross my mind that you and i have kind of soured on just from stuff that we hear whether it's bs or not we can't really tell but it's micah parsons who is a blue chip type player at a position of value that's not as high as some of these other positions wide receiver especially the offensive line so what do you feel where do you feel micah parsons kind of fits into this is it the character concerns that's really holding you back from kind of putting him with these other blue chips because the impact he can have is high in this patrick graham's defense and really in any defense if his head's on straight yeah i think you nailed it nick i think as we kind of worked our way through this process like if you asked us three weeks ago he was probably on our short list or at least on my short list mm-hmm. wish list he would never not be mentioned on a list like this of guys i name out for me, it's probably a combination of two things. One, some things I'm hearing on him that we kind of have to have like a handler type person, which you just don't want, especially after the Odell Beckham situation. I really think that this it's important to avoid having another Odell Beckham on this team. No matter how talented that player may be, you can't have a player who has his own set of rules. There has to be. And I know Giants, some Giants fans who toe the line with Odell Beckham and will ride and die with him till the end, and I respect that. I really do. He was a great player when healthy. But I was in those locker rooms at times, and he had his own set. I was especially at training camp. He had his own set of rules. He really did. You couldn't get around him for interviews. You were lucky to get Odell Beckham to speak to you, and everybody treated him different at practice. He kind of had his own set of rules, not only with the media, but with the players and the coaches because of how high his star power was. And I don't think you can... I think it's a dangerous game to play when you have players like that who have their own set of rules on the team, unless they're a quarterback. And then, you know, like Tom Brady, I'm sure, has his own set of rules in Tampa. That's fine. It's Tom Brady. But Odell Beckham wasn't making that kind of impact. I'm not sure Parsons is. So it's a combination of that. And then for me, it's what you mentioned at the end. I'm starting to think more about this holistically. And it's the off. It's the fact of the position he plays. How important is that? And how? what's the upside to getting a player like that at 11? The upside is if he can be a force off the edge as an edge rusher on some passing downs or on a lot of passing downs, then it's super high. Then he's worth it to me. I'm not so sure about that. I don't think that's a guarantee or a lock. Can he also be elite in pass coverage, both in zone and man? We've seen him do it in man at Penn State, but that's against Big Ten tight ends. That's against Big Ten you know, backs in space. These aren't NFL level. Big Ten is known for having slow-footed tight ends. Big Ten is known for kind of the same way, not having all those like great elusive receiving backs and route running receiving backs. So that scares me a little because if he can't be a force as a pass coverage linebacker or as a pass rushing linebacker, 
I don't know if there's so much value for him right now on this team with Blake Martinez already on the roster. So I would say it's a combination of those two things for me with Micah. Also, the fact that the Giants invested a lot into the linebacker yeah. position last year with Cam Brown, Carter Coughlin to a lesser extent, Tay sure. Crowder, they even added TJ Brunson. So I just, uh, you look at the other needs on this team and you might look away from an off-ball linebacker. Although I kind of, I may be a little higher than mm. you on this. I think he could impact as an not an edge rusher, but just those five-man pressure packages. We right. saw Patrick Graham bring them a lot from a lot of different areas. I think he would be just nasty and disgusting sure. on those. But you look at some of the other players that you named, Dan, and I can see why. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You would have them over Micah Parsons, I would too. I mean, Jamar Chase, like you said, unlikely, but just a really, really good wide receiver. A lot of people who really study and break down wide receiver film over the year have Jamar Chase as the best wide receiver coming out since like Julio Jones, which is yeah. kind of absolutely ridiculous to think about. But if he had that 2019 season in 2020, people might not forget it. I know right. that sounds really simple, but it kind of ends up going like that sometimes. But opting out, there's a cost to that. And Penny Suell knows very well about that. And I hope that cost slides him down to the 11th pick because that would be delightful for New York Giants fans, for all of us. And I just love all of these other guys on the list. And they're on my list as well for yeah. players that I hope the Giants target at 11. Kyle Pitts, Florida, or Sullivan Slater, Devonta Smith, and Jalen Waddle. I'd be happy. Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions. And now they want to help you even more. With the Credit Karma Money Spend Account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma Money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot and your Instant Karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Open your FDIC-insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll automatically be entered to win $1 million. Right now, visit creditkarma.com backslash winmoney to open your free account and start winning Instant Karma. Go to creditkarma.com backslash winmoney to sign up for free and start winning. That's creditkarma.com slash winmoney. Instant Karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Incorporated. Member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. Yeah, and then back to Chase. I mean, it's not just the film, guys. The analytics. We had Scott Barrett on the yeah, podcast yeah. last week. He said, according to his model, it's just from a stats-based model. And this is based on stats. It's based on, um, I believe, a lot of uh, testing and everything like that. It's all factored into a model. He's the best receiver since, prospect since 2015. So that's high, high. And 
there is the weird. I think out of all the the guys, like let's say Sewell, Pitts, and Chase, the three unlikeliest that we would love to get at eleven. Mm-hmm. I actually think Chase has the best chance to be there at eleven, not because he's not the best player, because if it's always weird in the drafts. Like last year, some team took Henry Ruggs over C.D. Lamb. I had C.D. Lamb as my number one receiver. We talked about them in the bot. I didn't even think it was an option. I didn't think it was anyone was even close to him. He had DeAndre Hopkins like ball skills in the air. And when you watched him eliminate angles and just his post catchability on tape, and then you watch Ruggs, you're like, these two aren't the same. I know Ruggs had the deep speed, but the point is, some team took Ruggs over him. So I think teams can. Some team took John Ross one year as the first receiver, right? Well, he was. He, he, he was actually off the, the board. third. It oh, was he was. It was that Corey Davis and Mike Williams. That was like Corey Davis, Mike Williams, and John Ross. But they took John Ross over a lot of players at that oh, position. Oh yeah, they took him at nine. I wasn't expecting right. So yeah. teams can fall in love with different kinds of wide receiver prospects based on the system they run, what they want to get out of their offense. So it wouldn't shock me. Again, I've maintained this entire time. I don't think as many of these receivers are going off the board as people think. You look at the top of this draft, the Broncos, no shot in my mind. Not after going with Hamler and Judy. The Cowboys, no shot in my mind. Not with what they have, the receiver position. The interesting thing about the Cowboys, though, is I kind of can see them going Kyle Pitts and just all Big 12 offense, baby. I We got to score 45 to win every game, man. I can't even imagine that offense with Kyle Pitts. Let's hope that doesn't happen. But yeah, so these would be my guys there. And it is interesting with Micah. If you could convince me, if you're convinced that he can be, and I think you're right, with Patrick Graham's defense versus other defenses, I am more optimistic about if you add him what he can add as a pass rusher. Yeah. Because like you said, Patrick Graham likes to bring pressure in different packages from different angles. And just you can have him with that A-gap pressure. You can have him in different spots maybe to kind of generate pressure or at least to kind of impact the passing play in one way or another because he is such a force moving downhill. But he would also, for me, have to be good in coverage moving forward. Or proje- you would have to project that he's good in coverage for me to want to take a linebacker off ball who's not impacting as a pass rusher off the edge that eye in the draft with these guys on the board. Like, if all these guys are off the board, then I start to get more interested in Micah Parsons because I'd rather take Micah Parsons than an edge if the off-field stuff checks out, of course. Yeah, and the thing about Parsons, too, he has all the tools to be good in coverage, but just because you have all the tools doesn't right. make you a good plumber. Yeah. I, think that was a, I think that was a Vic Fangio quote. I like that. So, I mean, he has all those tools, but can he put it all together? From what you see on film, I mean, he was just such a better athlete than a lot of the tight ends right. that he was going against, but the NFL is not going to be the case. Yeah, I don't think there's a single Big Ten tight end who's even going to get drafted if I'm not. Oh, besides, I'm sorry, Pat Fryer. Obviously, yeah. Fryer. But Fryer yeah. is not that type of tight end. Like, you and watch Fryer. Yeah. yeah, he's not a team so it's not like he's facing him but either way besides fire move i don't think there's gonna be a single one that's gonna be comparable so who knows there um step two trade this is my second step trade back from 42 this would be the pick to do it that i want to do it at to acquire more picks now the reason i said this i said it won't be easy something could happen like last year where somebody like xavier Pini, who you have a clear-cut first round grade on falls into that 42 hole and you just can't help yourself and i get that but i also think that there's no it's no coincidence to me that the Giants were able to find their best day three values in the 2020 class with Darnay Holmes, Shane Lemieux, and Tay Crowder. And you could throw Darius Slayton from the last class into that, that's fine, but those are three of their best. In the 2020 class where they also had their most day three picks in the Dave Gettleman era. The draft is an imperfect process. Day three picks are statistically nothing more than dart throws. They re- Just by the stats, 
Those day three picks, most of the time, they don't even make the roster after a year or two, let alone become contributors. So the best chance you have to hit a bullseye is to throw more darts at that bullseye. As it currently stands, the Giants only have three total picks on day three. The only way to get more picks is to trade back really from 11 or 42 or to trade future picks, which they've kind of said they don't really want to do, or maybe an Ingram-type trade, which we don't know or think is going to happen. But if they do trade back from 42, they can get more of these day three picks that they lost with the item trade, that they lost with the Williams trade. Because as it stands right now, they pick at 116 overall in round four, and then they don't pick again until 196 overall. That's 80 picks there where you could find a Shane Lemieux. You could find a Tate Crowder. You could find guys who can be contributors, depth pieces for you. And so for me, that's really important. It's not my first step because my first step is more important. Like I don't want to go edge at 11. I don't want to force and reach a pick at 11, but this is almost equally as important to me. And I can understand why. And you got to look at the opportunity cost. So we don't want to trade back at 11 because there's realistically going to be a blue chip prospect there. Sure. So you look at the 42nd pick. Who's going to be available there? We're looking at guys like Joseph Asai, looking at edges, maybe uh, Ola, Jason Owen, possibly, probably not, but who knows, just because he's a freak, somebody could select him. There's other interior offensive linemen that you may like, but nobody obviously is as talented or can have the impact that that 11th pick theoretically should have. So if you do trade back, you can give yourselves more kicks at the can at some of these other positions that we would like to add talent towards. Specifically, I think you could throw tight end in there, but more so the interior offensive line. And that's something that we really want to target. Maybe the linebacker position, cornerback as well. Guys like Asante Samuel Jr. could be around if they mm. decide to fall. Players like that. And I just, I'm just a big believer in, like you said, adding more of those early day three picks, maybe even you know late day two if you do sure. decide to trade back there. It depends on who's on the board, obviously. I'm trying to think of a player that would be on the board where I'd be like, no, you got to run that up to the podium. And the guys who come to my mind are these edge rushers that I don't believe would be there for that 42nd pick, like an Aziz Ojolari, oh, yeah. which I feel like is a stretch. Uh, you see, you do some of these mock draft simulators, and Jalen Phillips is sitting there, and it's like, I didn't, yes, the medicals could, but like he, his talent suggests that a team is going to take a risk. A good football team would take that risk to I, select someone. Like I that. feel a little differently than you. I think on the top of this edge class, I personally don't subscribe to any of them being really great values, except for maybe Phillips. Mm-hmm. Aziz would be a nice fit systematically for the Giants, but like. I don't. If you're going to say like Aziz Ojolari versus Elijah Moore, I think Elijah Moore is clearly a better pick. I think if just from a BPA value standpoint, mm-hmm. you're clearly getting a more sure thing there with a guy versus Aziz Ojolari. I think it could be good, but he may end up ultimately being just a situational pass rusher if things don't work out for him. I think it's at least possible and within the realm of possibilities. With Elijah Moore, I see almost no shot of him failing, and he could be there at 42 based on the fact that he's only five foot nine. If Elijah Moore's there at 42 and they didn't go receiver, they went Rashawn Slater or an edge at 11, then that's the type of player I have to like look at it again and be like, well, I don't really want to make this trade now, do I? Like, Do I want to lose out on Elijah Moore, especially after they pass on receiver already? So I don't know. That could be a player for me that would make me kind of reconsider that for sure. Yeah, and Elijah Moore is an absolute stud, so you're yeah. not going to see me arguing too mm-hmm. much against him. And same thing for maybe like a Jeremiah Owusu-Koromo, who we've gone over in the past, who I really like. But even him, I would probably trade back for. I think it would have to be somebody who I think is a 15, top 15, 20 overall player. And that's going to be rare for me at that pick. Yeah. And Jock, man, he's somebody who I could see going in like some 15 to like 25 yeah. too. I think I think his range is like 15 to 45. I think he's got a deep range. Yeah. Yeah. I just mean, because it could. It's, yeah. When those tweener types, it's kind of just dependent mm-hmm. on the coordinator and like what the plan is on defense. So moving on, step three, I said this is not the class to skip out on the offensive line. And so obviously I said in order to break down the current projected offensive line, I think it's important to take a step back. 
The Giants ranked 31st in pass protection in 2020 pro, per pro football focus. No quarterback other than Sam Darnold on the expansion S Jets roster, as I wrote, and I believe that. It was basically a really bad roster last year. was pressured more on a per-snap basis than Daniel Jones. Only Darnold was. This offseason, they cut their most experienced and honestly, in 2020, their most consistent offensive lineman with the exception of maybe Nick Gates. And so far, they've replaced him with Zach Fulton, who allowed double-digit sacks in 2020. So to me, if you roll into the line with second-year players like Thomas, Lemieux, Matt Pert, you are really expecting a lot of development in a short period of time. It's possible. It's not out of the realm of possibility, but it's a risk based on that. When you add that to the fact that Will Hernandez will be converting to a new position, when you add that to the fact that this is a really, really deep interior offensive line class at the top, not necessarily as it rolls forward later into the draft, but at that early in that day two range and maybe into the very beginning of day three, but probably closer to that day two, round two, round three range, I think it's loaded. I think there's a lot of guys who you could take and say, this is the best player available. We're not just taking because we need to help our offensive line. We're taking the best player available. So some guys I named, and then you could tell me what you think about this, is round two, Alabama's Landon Dickerson, Oklahoma's Creed Humphrey, Alabama's Alex Leatherwood, North Dakota State's Dylan Redunds, Stanford's Walker, Little, uh, Stanford's Walker Little, Wisconsin Whitewater's Quinn Miners, and then for day th- uh, round three, I should say, Notre Dame's Liam Eichenberg, though I think some people think he might be a round two guy, Illinois' Kendrick Green, Notre Dame's Aaron Banks, and BYU's Brady Christensen. No, yeah, I like these players, to be honest. I mean, I'm not as high on Dylan Redunds and Alex Leatherwood for the oh, he's going to be selected in the top 25 type of camp. Mm-hmm. But, you know, sitting there saying at the second round, I think it's much more of a digestible conversation to have. But like we always say, man, and we brought this up on this podcast, development's not always linear. Just because a player who's in his rookie season starts off doing well doesn't mean that he's going to continue that trajectory. And we have someone on this roster that we're trying to rely on right now that fits that mold very well, and that is Will Hernandez. Right. Will Hernandez, solid 2018 Played pretty well. We yeah. had a lot of, you know, okay, this guy, this guy's a player. 2019 fell off. 2020 was not playing well. Got COVID. And then he was just basically, once he got healthy healthy and back into the lineup, was benched for Shane Lemieux. Yes. So that could easily happen to Shane Lemieux. That could happen to Matt Pear. Mm. That could happen to Andrew Thomas. So that's why I, I think it's just so necessary. And this could be one of the most important steps on this whole thing is to find some help at the interior offensive line, find some help at swing positions for a guard tackle. And some of these players on the list definitely fit. I love that you said that. I love that you said it could be not skipping on this offensive line class could be one of the most important steps this team takes in the draft because I completely agree with you there, Nick. I yeah. think a lot of people are right now thinking about this draft and thinking about what the Giants are going to do, and they're okay potentially with skipping on offensive line. They're okay going. I've seen some mocks from a lot of different people and fans and analysts who are like, who basically in those first four picks have receivers, edges, and corners, or receivers, edges, and linebackers, and two or two receivers and an edge, two edges and a receiver, and just completely skip on the offensive line. And I think me and you both agree that would be a massive mistake for this team. And there's no such thing as burying a guy on the depth chart or drafting over someone. What you're doing is you're adding competition. You're adding depth in case of injuries. You're adding talent to something to a, to a position group that, needs talent at all times, and like we've talked about in the past, can't afford to have a deficiency by any means. Like if Shane Lemieux comes out there again and gives what he gave in pass production in 2020 as a rookie, which we hope won't happen. We hope there's, like you said, more, not. we hope the progression is linear to the point where he gets better. But if he does that, on, and we watch it on tape in the first four weeks, 
we're going to be talking about, me and you are know we're going to be talking about who can replace him. Because that's the, that's the general fact of the matter. Will he get benched and should he get benched and who can bench him? And what you need in that scenario, if it does fail, you need someone viable to put in. It can't be Zach Fulton. You can't say, oh, let's try Zach Fulton there. Because Zach Fulton's not going to be better than Shane Lemieux. Absolutely, yeah. And so that's kind of what it is. I don't think you can just guarantee this Lemieux-Hernandez thing, either of them, really. And Hernandez, I have more faith in still even trying a new position. Because at least you watch him in pass pro, and it looks like he's ready every time. He gets his hands up, he gets into his stance, and you just... You rarely see him beat the same way as Lemieux gets uh, beat in pass pro. And I still remain extremely concerned with Shane Lemieux. I am not as high on him as most Giants fans seem to be. It all comes um, down to that to that base run play, that counter tray run play yeah, that they, they like to run. And they yeah. like Lemieux a lot on those what? plays. You can't counter tray your way to a Super Bowl, though. <laughs> no, you know, you yeah. can't call counter tray runs to away to the Super Bowl. It's, it's nice to have a good run game that has a really good play that works in it. But you gotta have pass protection. You have to have it to have any chance. You can't. Thirty first in the NFL, no shot to win. And another thing too is look at the offensive line from twenty twenty. What were they? Thirty first ranked by a lot of PFF metrics. Yeah. And if you watch right. the tape, you could tell they're not a good offensive line. Right. They were pretty healthy, and yeah. they just lost good their point. best, most experienced guy. That's a lot of uncertainty, man. That's a lot of uncertainty. You right. added these nice shiny toys. You get that beautiful shiny toy Saquon Barkley back. But if you can't block for them, then what good are they? Right. It's a good point. They were healthy, and that a bit scary as well. But let's move on to step four, and this is my favorite because I know everybody's going to hate this one. Don't force a pick at edge. I will be more than happy if okay. they – not happy, but I will be totally fine if they come out of this draft without a single edge rusher and people are like, what the hell are you talking about? That means that instead of taking the edge, they took what they consider to be the best player available. Last year, let's say they forced an edge at the pit in the fourth round. Then we wouldn't have Darnay Holmes on the roster right now. They, let's say they looked at and they said, we signed Bradbury, we got Beal coming back, we got this and that and that, we don't need a corner right now. We don't need this position. Let's not draft Holmes. Well, then you lose a quality player in Holmes by trying to take some project edge. Let's look at the fourth round edges from last year. I'm sure none of them trying to pull them up, to be honest. And then that edge class was better than this edge class. This edge class is worse than last year's edge class. This is a really bad edge class. I mean, we had John Ledyard on the podcast last week and he broke down the edge class and basically said this is one of the worst edge classes he said he doesn't have more than a third round grade on any of these guys so i don't need to force a pick at edge is it going to be tough to go into a season with lorenzo carter shane zimenez odingamo i'm never going to learn how to pronounce right and ryan anderson yeah maybe but you also have cam brown you also have carter coffin you also have a defensive coordinator who's kind of devalued the importance of just having those clear-cut edge guys and so to me to force a pick based on need is a generally a very disastrous path to take. As I wrote in the article, the Giants finished 12th with 40 sacks last year, despite having injuries to Kyler Fackrell, Shane Zimnens, Lorenzo Carter, who could all be healthy this year, and despite having to literally play plotting inside linebacker David Mayo on the edge for a few snaps, some of the worst snaps we saw by any player on the Giants roster on all 22. Devontae Downs has something to say about that. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point in 2020. And I also added that Graham's system this year, now that they have added Adoree Jackson to the roster, Graham's system this year could be more man-heavy, could be more blitz-heavy. And if that's the case, and they are using more blitzes, they won't need to rely on as many one-on-one -on -one wins from these edge guys because they're using more guys to come from different angles and different spots. So with all that factored in, I really don't think they should force a pick at edge. 
I would like them to draft an edge, but oh, I'd love them to yeah, too. Yeah. yeah, I agree that it shouldn't be necessarily forced. Like I like the Darnay Holmes pick over the next three edges that were drafted. DJ Wanham, I feel like he is a solid player, incredible length, good pass rusher, has a little bit of bend. Kid from South Carolina, mm-hmm. he was TJ Brunson's teammate. They are was also Syracuse's Alton Robinson, who had I want to say like four sacks last year, which is pretty good for a fourth round rookie. Turns out to be a solid player, maybe a little bit more of a four three guy, but a three four mm-hmm. guy. If we're gonna get nitpicky here with that type of stuff, sure. but I'm looking at these edge guys I mean I'm trying to think of people later in the draft that the Giants may be interested in and I think of someone like Dio Odenigbo now that would be really really interesting to get him but he's somebody who tore his ACL and is not going to play tore it in the pre-draft process he's right. gonna have to have a redshirt year but I think he's a solid player and then you got guys like Jonathan Cooper out of Ohio State Ellison mm-hmm. Smith out of Northern Iowa who I find very intriguing but somebody who may struggle to play the run hadn't didn't play in 2020 looked really good at the senior bowl 2019 tapey was an electric pass rusher but he was going up against accountants and dudes who'd like do your taxes yeah. and stuff like that you know what i mean so uh, i could see where you're coming from personally though I-, I would like to definitely add bodies to that edge. yeah yeah i, I think I- I would. a perfect world i would like to yeah. add bodies I- my step is not don't pick any edges absolutely i don't i don't want to ma- i want to make that clear I-, I want them to draft an edge if there's a good value edge at any point absolutely i would consider peyton turner a good value to take a good gamble to take i take jason like you said aziz ojalari if you can get him at 42 snap it off i'm snap fine with that off, you can get jason o at 42 fine i'm good with that but if you're in the process of forcing like a joe Tryon at 42 because you need yeah. an edge that's when you start to get me and i'll be honest even at 11 if you're taking aziz ojalari over Devonte smith over maybe rashawn slater that's when you start to get into the range of where i'm not going to be supporting and i agree with that and then our fifth and or my fifth and final step would be don't be afraid to double dip at wide receiver. If I was asked to make a prediction, now I predict the Giants will end up with Waddle, Smith, or Pitts after day one. And just because they do that doesn't mean they have to avoid the position later in the draft. This is a deep and talented wide receiver class. More importantly, they still don't know for sure if Darius Slayton's going to be a part of their future, so it's always good to get more depth at wide receiver. They don't know for sure if Sterling Shepard's going to be part of their future because they can. he's been injury-prone, he has concussions, and they can recoup some dead cap space if they release him. Or I'm sorry, they can recoup some cap space with a limited dead cap hit if they release him in the next two off-seasons. So with that said, players like Josh Palmer, who's my favorite player in this entire draft, my best-case scenario is to open round four with this player. I think it would be like a Darnay Holmes, better a better-than-Darnay Holmes-type value pick. Tennessee's Josh Palmer, that is. Iowa's Amir Smith-Marset is on my list. Louisville's Tutu Atwell, who I just started watching a little bit of more recently because Scott Barrett turned me on to him. His model loves him thinks he could be a breakout player. And then Simi Fuyoku out of Stanford, who I like, who I think nice they can man. get in round six. I think they can get him real deep. And then Western Michigan's Dwayne Eskridge, round four. Auburn's Seth Williams, who I think has really good skills at the catch point. Maybe not everything else to his game, but has that. Auburn's Anthony Schwartz, who I think has some intriguing traits. He's not really a fully developed player. Wake Forest, Sage Surratt. Clemson's Amari Rogers. It's a deep list. South Carolina's Shai Smith interests me. Even North Carolina's Daz Newsome, I've seen some stuff from him that interests me. So really, there are a lot of guys I like. And if they go again at wide receiver in, in round three, I'm sorry, on day three, I'll be happy. Yeah, and I also think Austin Watkins from sure. UAB, he could yep. be thrown on that list. Not a dynamic athlete, but was a very effective vertical threat who understand the nuances of running routes. I was actually really impressed with his route running ability. And I felt like he went to the senior bowl and he got the guy lost amongst like Frank Darby and, you know, obviously Dwayne Eskridge and all these other receivers who were kind of dynamic down there. But just watching his one-on-one films, you're like, no one's really talking about this guy, but this yeah. guy's a pretty solid player. I think he's Sammy Watkins' cousin as well, which is just cool. Nice, uh, yeah. nice little throw thing. And then uh, 
Miami Brown, I think, is a little bit too good to make that list because he's probably going to be a late date or a, a late second round pick. But he's definitely somebody to pay attention to as well. Did you have Tylen Wallace on the list? I didn't have Tylen Wallace. I've, I've soured a little on Tylen Wallace a bit. I, I like this tape Wallace. and I love watching him. Yeah. The injuries concern me. I guess that shouldn't be too much of a concern if he can kind of get... It just seems like he kind of profiles to me as someone who might have that issue. I can understand why people are concerned about him. Yeah. Because A, you have the injuries. B, he's like a five foot ten, yes. teetering on 5'11", 195-pound guy who wins like a six foot four yeah, guy wins yeah, and that doesn't always translate as well but you watch some of his catches man that takes in a unique amount of concentration and body control and i know he was playing in the big 12 not facing some of the top level cornerbacks or facing anything like that facing a lot like of off coverage facing a lot of <laughs> coverage but still man he, he he was pretty impressive and for later yeah. in the i i would put him in that list sure to be honest. i think that's fair that i like cool. him better than some of these receivers that yeah. are probably in that list i do love amari rogers though that's somebody who could be like a Nice little Swiss Army knife for an offense, for man. Sure. You could line him up at running back, yeah. give him the football. He's low to the ground. He's he's, he's an interesting player. I really like Kiffin him as Clemson. well, too. Yep. I think he'd be really good for the offense. So that's it. That's the five-step plan. Just to go over them real quick before we sign off here. We got one, take the blue chip player at 11. Don't hesitate. Don't force a pick. Don't reach for a need. Step two, trade back from, from 42. Acquire more picks. Don't leave yourself 80 picks apart from having a draft pick on day three. Step three, not the class to skip out on the offensive line. Too talented, too deep, too important. Step four, don't force a pick at edge. Take one if there's a good value, but do not force one. Do not be afraid to come out of this class without a highly picked edge. And then five, don't be afraid to double dip a receiver. And also, one other thing we have to, I'd be remiss not to bring it up. It's the pitcher that is chosen for (laughs) this article is awesome Jalen Waddle just looking like a pure badass breaking angles probably breaking ankles as well running the entire Alabama staff is just like oh wow this is about to happen so I think that's a really cool picture you guys yeah it's an awesome head. picture Jalen Waddle whew, is he explosive and electric he's very fun he's very fun all right have a good one guys we will t- talk to you soon and see you on the next one of these big blue banter YouTube videos Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.